0: Galatians chapter 6. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again that we have this time. We pray that you would direct our minds and spirits by your Holy Spirit and by your word. Help us to understand what you say and enable us by your Spirit to um, come in line with what you've said. Encourage your people and challenge those who are not yet your people to come to you and to see that fruit, real fruit, comes from you. We pray that you would enable us to walk in the power of your spirit. We think, Father, again, as has been mentioned, of those that are in harm's way, either dealing with the residual effects in Houston and in the islands uh, Below Florida, or those that are in the midst of the storm. We pray, Father, that you would even in this hour lessen the effects and cause the storm to uh, dissipate as quickly as possible. We pray, Father, that rescue, uh, physical rescue, would be available to those in need. Physical resources would be available to those in need, but more than that, spiritual rescue and spiritual resources would be available, and during these times of trying, we pray that many would come to know Jesus as their Savior. We commit these things to you. You alone are God. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we're in Galatians chapter 6. Churches have a reputation for being those who harangue their congregations for money. And we have chosen deliberately to be overly cautious to avoid that stereotype. Um, I don't find that to be helpful, particularly since there is so much stereotypical painting of the church that way. Our text this morning relates to how we invest ourselves, including our money. With that being said, I want to begin with some important statements. Um, This, over the years, has been and is, is a very generous church. And at this point in my ministry as pastor, I feel as though I receive an abundant double portion of honor as is referenced in 1 Timothy chapter 5. My family is supported financially, physically, emotionally, and spiritually uh, through this assembly. In fact, this past Thursday I was meeting with a fellow pastor, a godly man, and I was bearing witness to your faithful, kind support of my family and me. So with that being said, and with proper commendation having been given, um, you can be aware that this message in our study this morning has not arisen out of some financial need or compulsion, but simply is a reflection of our study in the book of Galatians. That's, this is where we've arrived this morning. I can honestly say... With the Apostle Paul, what he wrote to the Philippian church in Philippians 4 17 and 18. You, you don't have it in front of you and it's not on the screen, but this is God's word. Listen to what he says Not that I seek a gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more, I am well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. The concept that we come to in Galatians chapter 6 has begun actually in Galatians chapter 5. He began this portion of, uh, of emphasis speaking about the fact that Christ has set us free to love, Christ has set us free to love and that emphasis begun in chapter 5 is continuing in chapter 6. We want to notice how that that freedom from Christ that issues forth in Christian love applies to what is being said here because he really has not changed subjects as he transitions into chapter 6, he talks about how Christian love bears one another's burdens. How when we see one who is overtaken in a trespass we don't leave them there in the dirt judging them but we come alongside them and pick them up out of the dirt and show them the way there's love there and, and as he transitions to this next section the the theme of love has not departed from us and that love that is arisen from being set free from Christ what we want to notice this morning is there are four charges for us in this passage so I'm going to just lay them out there right at the beginning so you can see it and then we're going to go through and move systematically through it first of all sow christian love for your teachers sow christian love for your teachers secondly know the results of sowing thirdly sow christian love for everyone and finally sow christian love for god's family with that being said, let us read through our text that we have already read responsibly this morning. Now you can enjoy the reading. I'll read. You follow along in your copies of Scripture. Galatians 6.6 6. Let the one who is taught the Word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so the first item we come to is that we are to sow Christian love for our teachers. He uses the word katake'o. Or katakeo. You can hear the word catechism in there. Here's what he says Let the one who is taught, that's the one who receives katake'o, share that's the word koinonia, that's fellowship, share in all good things with the one who teaches. The word katekeo is used both, both places. He's talking about catechism. The idea of catechism is a systematic teaching of the truth. So the one who receives the systematic teaching of the truth is to share in all good things with the one who systematically teaches the truth. That's the idea that is coming forth from this text. This is abundantly clear from Scripture that those who who um, bring forth the gospel, who, who make their lives out of the gospel, should live from that. In, in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 10, the Bible says the laborer deserves his food. Jesus said that to his disciples as they sent for, he sent them forth to go into the, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. At another time, when Jesus sent forth 70, in Luke chapter 10, he said this, and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages do not go from house to house. In other words, when, when you go to a place and you're ministering the gospel, stay in that house that takes you in and they'll provide your needs. That's a, a way to demonstrate your care for them. Now take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. You're in Galatians. Take a left through two books. You go through 2 Corinthians and you'll find yourself in 1 Corinthians. If you go too far, you'll find yourself in Romans. You're in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul is speaking about the same type of subject of the, the liberty of the servant of God who goes about with the Gospel. He speaks of the care of the church that should be in place. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 7, he writes, "...who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk?" Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. It is, for ox, uh, uh, is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It is written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure all things rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple... Service, get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So we, we have ample biblical text, and we're going to look at one more on the screen in just a moment. The, the, the idea that Paul is communicating in Galatians chapter 6, because we've been set free by Christ, we don't do that to heap Things upon ourselves and 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 in a in a licensed sort of manner, in a in a lascivious sort of manner, just feast upon our own resources. But instead, we were set free to, by love, serve one another. He then at the end of chapter five tells us how that takes place. It's by walking in the power of the Spirit. He talks about the fruitfulness of walking in, in a, a fellowship with the Spirit. Then he comes into chapter 6, and he's talking about bearing one another's burdens, and then he comes to this next section where our Christian love is exercised or demonstrated in sharing uh, financially with one another. And it spe- starts specifically off with talking about sharing with your teachers. And the Bible says this also in 1 Timothy chapter 5, where it says... Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, two different types of honor, or a double portion of honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. So the Bible gives us this instruction about providing for those in Christian ministry. And as I mentioned at the start, that is well done here. It has been well done Uh, so long as I've been here. Um, There have been times where I've had lesser, and times where I've had more, but always this church has provided uh, very well uh, to its ability. And I commend you for that. This is in accordance with truth. It's in accordance with the scriptures. One of the things that has to be noted here, it's very important, back in Galatians chapter 6, is Paul uses a particular word for how this Communication of love comes forth. Look back in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 6 just for a moment. In verse 6 he says, Let the one who is taught the word share in all good things with the one who teaches. The word share is the word that I'm interested in. And actually in the Greek it comes at the beginning of the sentence for emphasis. He's talking about koinonia. And we know the word koinonia means fellowship. Fellowship. It's interesting that that's the word that he chooses to use to convey this concept. Koinonia is a partnership or a sharing. So when he talks about the one who's receiving the teaching, sharing in all good things with the one who teaches, he is not speaking about a paycheck. Now, it involves a paycheck, but it's different than that. It's not hey, here's your money for your job, son. There is something far greater that is demonstrated in the way that God words this through Paul. It's an expression of a partnership in Christian ministry. It's it's an expression of partnership, that we're in this together. It's not the the underlings um, bringing an offering to the overlord. And it's not the powerful group that has the paycheck coming and saying, hey, do your job, buddy, either way is an abuse of, of biblical information. This is, hey, guys, we're in this together. And because we're in this together, we're going we're to do this together. And, and here's something to help you. It's, it's a love gift. It is a love, a sharing of the love and burden of the ministry to, together. And its I, I find it to be just beautiful how God eliminates the ridiculousness that goes on in many churches. Let me tell you, I have read so many stories about horrible churches. Churches that either the pastor dominates and, and all the people are their little peons that they dictate around. Like that's a bad abuse of, of Christianity. And the other is where the pastor is kind of like this... This puppet and the people tell him what to do and he's okay well they don't want me to preach about that so I just have to preach about this no not none of that not happening Um, not not with this guy here and, and not with this congregation here um, I, I am so thankful I could I, I speak this as genuinely as I know how I'm so thankful for your ministry toward me in not putting sh- or attempting to put shackles on me, or to dictate to me, or to, to try to move me in a certain way. It is unbiblical. I hope that you are equally thankful that the elders of this church do not try to put shackles on you and try to dictate you every nook and cranny of your life. We want to say, thus says the Lord. This is what God's Word says. I have to come underneath the authority of God's Word. You have to come under the authority of God's Word. I don't come under it differently than you do, and you don't come under it differently than I do. It's the Word. God's word. It's truth. I'm an underling to God. As you are. We're in this together. So we partner together. And in Christian love, this passage says, sow Christian love to your teachers. And you do. Thank the Lord. I am rejoicing. Secondly, he presents us a principle about this. He's going to return again in verses, uh, verse 10 to this concept of financial giving, doing good with our, the, things, the resources we've been given. He's going to come back to it. In between, in verses 7, 8, and 9, he talks about this principle. It is related to giving. However, it also relates to every other part of life. Verses 7, 8, and 9, its primary context is the way we um, distribute the good things we've received, so that's finances, resources... Um, the way we sow it is the way that we'll reap. So that's the primary emphasis. However, it applies in every, virtually every single area of our lives. So, let us know the results of sowing. Look please with me at verses 7 through 9. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life and let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up the context here is resources but it replies to everything don't be deceived he starts off with don't be deceived that's another way of saying don't fool yourself and then he says god is not mocked that's another way of saying don't turn your nose up at god This principle that is brought forth in verse 6 and and, and reiterated in 7, excuse me, in verse 7, reiterated in verse 8, and then applied again in verse 9, this principle is not man made. This is a dictate from God. This This is a principle that comes from God. Don't turn your nose up at God. And here's the principle that is universal whatever you sow, you reap. Whatever you sow, you reap. Listen, you don't go out in the garden and sow carrots and reap cucumbers. Doesn't work. It's not happening. You don't, listen, this this is better. I I really like it. I wrote this out for you. You don't sow lettuce and reap Doritos. (laughs) Have you ever tried? It's not going to work. You can try if you want. Here's a better one. Ready? I, I wrote this one too. And my, my, my computer kept trying to, to change it because of autocorrect. It tried to keep changing what I wrote to twinkles. Twinkles. You don't sew twinkies and reap physical fitness. Is that true? Chuck down the twinkies. Oh yeah, I'm gonna have a six-pack. Not 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 coke or anything. I'm talking I'm gonna have washboard abs after eating my Twinkies. Doesn't work that way, does it? Just, it's a natural principle. It, it's this way in everything. In a far more serious way, you can't sow, listen, you can't sow lust, pornography, and adultery, and reap a strong, healthy marriage. Also, you can't sow, work, 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 and have a well-balanced, healthy Family. You can't sow anger and reap love or peace or harmony. You can't sow your resources upon your own whims and reap a spiritual harvest. You can't sow to your flesh. Let's just use as an example... Just came into my mind, I didn't pre-plan this. You can't sow by going into a bar and pounding down beer and reap the fruit of the spirit. True? You can't sit now. It's been it's become popular to talk about binge watching. Like as if this is like a good, happy thing. You can't binge watch Netflix. And wake up the next morning and say, boy, I feel really spiritually refreshed from last night. You don't sow to the flesh and reap spiritual bounty. When we sow to the flesh, we reap what? The flesh. The flesh does not lead towards spiritual truth. The flesh does not lead towards spiritual inclination the flesh does not lead you toward thirst and hunger for righteousness. If we sow to the flesh, the flesh has some gift for us. More flesh. And the flesh is corrupt and corrupting. In other words, if you and I invest in indulgence of the flesh, you will reap the things that corrupt and a soul that is being corrupted. Is that clear? I'm going to say this as straightly and emotionless as possible. This truth is unavoidable. It's unavoidable for the unbeliever and it's unavoidable for the believer. If you and I sow to our flesh, we will reap the corruption that the flesh produces and our soul will be being corrupted corrupted. We will not be more spiritual the next day after we indulge the flesh. We will be more fleshly. On the other hand, on the other hand, if you and I invest in that which pleases the spirit, he will produce fruit that lasts and your soul will be being enriched. This is inviolable. You know what inviolable means? This is something that is not violated. This is just a truth. You and I wake up in the morning and we get in the word and we're prayerful and, and we go off about our day and we're meditating on the things that God has taught us and we're praying, Lord, help me to be the things that you, you reveal in your word. And, and we encounter things. We're not going to be sinless, but when, when we're cognizant of God's word, it's because we're cognizant of God. We're paying attention to God. We are God conscious. We're having the fear of the Lord. And because of that, when we sin, it's, it's like, ah, I'm back there again. And what do we do with that sin? Oh, I'm just defeated. Well, well, everyone else sins. That's not what we do. Because we're, we're feeding on the things of the Spirit. And when, when we sin, we say, God, that's not right. I've sinned against you i violated the truth of your word we repent we confess our sin he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and then guess what we do we don't wallow in our sin we move on because we we've been feasting upon the word and so we're meditating on the word and then we get home maybe you had a, a, a difficult day and a difficult commute back home you get back home and something's going on and and you snap at someone in your house but because you're God conscious, because you have the fear of the Lord, you recognize your attitude as sinful. And you deal with it. First you deal with the Lord, and then you deal with the one you snapped at. Hey guys, it was not appropriate for me to talk to you that way, to act this way. Whatever it is, you address it. And, and what do you do? You're moving forward again. Why? Because you're sowing to the Spirit. And from the Spirit, not only will you reap fruit that lasts forever, you'll also receive a Spirit that is being enriched that it's growing toward Christ-likeness. Because the more we walk in the Spirit, the more fruit is produced. Isn't that true? If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap what? Flesh or corruption. Where do you get that from? The flesh. He, the one that sows to the flesh will, of the flesh, reap corruption. It's not talking about damnation. He's talking about the flesh doing what the flesh does. It corrupts. If you sow, however, to the Spirit, the Spirit produces what the Spirit does. And the Spirit produces true, eternal, lasting fruit. Which, in this case, is translated life. Life. You know, we, we go through this process, right? Day in and day out, we're sowing to something. We're either sowing to the flesh, or we're sowing to the Spirit. We're never sowing to both at the same time. But we may, in the same day, so, to both. What we want is to be solely sowing to the Spirit. And Paul knows the struggle, and he knows the struggle that we'll face. And so he tells us in verse 9 let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. He knows the tendency to give up, he knows the discouragement of reaping corruption, having sown to the flesh. He says, let us not grow weary of doing good, sharing, of, of investing in the right thing. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. Here's something that we have to understand. Seeds don't grow overnight. And spiritual sowing, while it is comparable to physical sowing not the kind with the needle and thread but with the, seed, with the seeds while it's comparable it is not the same thing you, you p- plant some tomato seeds you can figure out because you're a scientific how many days it'll take before you see the sprout and how many days you, before you start to see this next phase you know it, there's, there's a window of time right you don't sow tomato in, in March and get it in December. You know, it, there's the, you know the, the general duration of that seed sowing to reaping. Not so with spiritual things. Sometimes we sow seeds and it takes much longer than the cycle for physical harvesting. Sometimes we, it's less time. There's no predicting it. But we do know this. Sow to the spirit and what will you reap from the spirit? Does the spirit produce corruption? Does the spirit produce disharmony? Hate? Anger? Resentment? Bitterness? Indulgence of the flesh? Gluttony? Materialism? Covetousness? Adultery? The spirit doesn't produce any of that stuff. So to the Spirit, you will, from the Spirit, reap life everlasting. Reap things that are eternal in um, in their source and eternal in their result. And I think we can't move on to the next section without understanding that someone that calls themselves a Christian but always and only sows to the flesh and always and only reaps that which the flesh produces, which is corruption, might it speak something toward whether they will experience the eternal life that comes from the Spirit? I think it does display something. I, I don't believe a, a someone who calls themselves a Christian but never sows to the Spirit has any reason for confidence. Do you? Like, well, I prayed a prayer one time. That's good. I prayed a prayer too. But if there's no results, if if there's no hunger toward God or for the things of God, does it say anything about whether the Spirit has given me true eternal life? I think it does say something. I'm not saying that every time we sow to the flesh we should question our salvation. That's opposite of what I've said here this morning, isn't it? But I don't want to ignore what this text says. And the text says when you sow to the Spirit, you will from the Spirit reap what? Eternal life. life. And that's what it says. And so there's, there's something there that needs to be heeded. A believer must sow toward the Spirit. That sowing does not produce eternal life. The Spirit gives eternal life. But the sowing to the Spirit indicates eternal life, though, doesn't it? I think it does. In fact, I'm, I'm positive that it does. So, we say, keep sowing to the Holy Spirit. You will not be sorry for the results. You think that concept is clear in this text? I do. Here's a third, a third command from this text or a third charge from this text so Christian love for everyone so Christian love for everyone verse 10 so then as we have opportunity let us do good to everyone this can be challenging can't it? who does this apply to? everyone <laughs> everyone So let's just take a moment and we'll exercise ourselves. you have people that live next door to you? Yes? What do we call them? Neighbors. Neighbors. Should you and I be good to our neighbors? What if they're bad neighbors? Why do we want to be good neighbors to our neighbors? Well, the text here says it, first of all, right? But what else? other than this, just strict obedience to this one text, why else do we want to be good neighbors? We want them to see the one that has saved us. Jesus gave his life to pay for my sin. He was crucified as guilty for my sin. He was buried because of my sin. And God triumphantly raised him from the dead, victorious over my sin. Don't we want our neighbors to know that Jesus that has saved us? Yes. How will they know if we're turds for neighbors? I go again and using bad words. If we're not good neighbors. They're not going to know from us that we're good neighbors if we're unkind. So when you see your neighbor out raking his leaves... If you have opportunity, grab your rake and go rake with him. If you see your neighbor shoveling or snow blowing and you have opportunity, go out and shovel and snow blow with him. If you have a great harvest of cucumbers, share some with your neighbors. If you've been abundantly blessed, bring some little, little overflow to your neighbor hey, you know, we, were, we made this pie and we had an ex- extra and we wanted to give it to you, they might throw the thing in the garbage. That's not your problem. Your problem is, have I demonstrated to my neighbors that I'm charitable, caring, loving? That's next-door neighbors now. How about our community? So you get the next-door neighbor that there's, they're adjacent to you. Um, what, about the, what about the larger community? How can we as a church make sure that this community knows that we're not just about us? Here's what people think about the church. Or here's a, a thought. Well, they don't pay any taxes. And they think that I don't pay any taxes. I wish that were true. It would be excellent if I didn't pay any taxes. <laughs> All that double portion that I receive would be multiplied. It would be great if I didn't have to pay taxes. But I, I in fact, do pay taxes, quite a bit of taxes, um, like you do. They think that we are takers. We We don't pay taxes on our property, and we get all these benefits, and all this other stuff. This is how the world views many churches. How do we turn that thing on its head? Well, you can't. Forgive me, you can't fix stupid, I shouldn't have said it. Um, it you, can't, you can't undo ignorance. However, what we can do is demonstrate something different. We can demonstrate something different as a church. We, we have ways that we try to do that through our food pantry ministry, where we're not taking but we're giving. Many of you invest time, and many of you invest finances into the food pantry ministry so we can demonstrate to our community that we're not here just for us we're are here for them uh, we try to demonstrate it through our vacation bible time program where we have people from from outside of the church here to to enjoy uh, games and 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 the gospel and then we have a, a nice carnival at the end where we feed people like, this is just a way of expressing to our community that we're not here just for ourselves but we're here uh, as a source of love to them. It's just certain ways. How about uh, moving from the neighbor to the community? Now how about to just humanity at large? Well, I think we have a very clear way um, in this current time frame that we can demonstrate that we love our fellow man in dealing with Hurricane Harvey and Hurricane Irma and in how we, we can give financially to try to help Some people can actually go and and head down there and help. There are all kinds of things that, that we can do. But what you have opportunity to do, what I have opportunity to do, I ought to do. Why? Because we are to be sowing Christian love to everyone. We've reaped from God all manner of spiritual blessing. We've reaped from God physical blessing we should share that with others. Fourthly, sow Christian love for God's family. Sow Christian love for God's family. It says again in verse 10, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, listen carefully, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. You've heard the expression, charity begins at home, right? That applies here. That applies here. The blessing of Christian love must flow out to our world as an overflow of the Christian love that is dispensed in the church. We ought to love our neighbors. We ought to love our community. And we ought to love our fellow man. And we ought to consider that man on the side of the street that has the, the, the sign. We need to consider them. You probably see the same ones in the same corner sometimes. and Sometimes you actually see them bullying other people that would like to be on that corner. You have to put those things out of your mind. We can't, we can't be derailed by someone else's improper action. What we have to do is figure out how we demonstrate kindness in this environment that we live in. But it cannot be that those things take the precedence and the people of God take the lesser. What happens is you build on the foundation of making sure you care for your own, and then you have an overflow outside of that. After you've cared for the family of God, there's extra, and when that takes place, you send it out. It's kind of like, I would not recommend giving a pie to your next-door neighbor like a, like a meat pie, like a pie that you eat for your family, if you can't feed your kids. Like, I don't think that that would be wise. I think you need to make sure you take care of your children starve yourself before you starve your children right make sure that they're that they're cared for and before you ever give it to your neighbor you got to make sure your family is fed and then you've got an overflow so you can give it to your neighbors well the same thing applies here in the church we make sure that we try to help those that are in the church as much as we are able and then there's a spillover that goes outside well, let's, let's take a, a look here. You're in Galatians. Take a left, one book, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. You've got to be impressed by this. If you're not impressed, it's because you're not listening. This, there's something impressive in this text we're about to read. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Follow with me. We're going to read verses 1 through 9. And I want you to try to understand, or want us to understand, the significance of what Paul says in this passage. Listen to what he says. Verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So I want to tell you about God's grace manifested through these churches. For in a severe test of affliction, they're abundantly afflicted, Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. Are you noticing some strange words? Affliction, overflowing joy, abundant poverty. These are contrasts. So something supernatural is going on, which is why he said, I want you to observe the grace of God in the church. He continues. This, this has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. They're extre- experiencing affliction and poverty, joy and generosity. Verse 3. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly... For the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Are you hearing what is said? This is, this, this is not normal. When we are in affliction and when we are in poverty, we want to take. And we might even be, go so far as to stick our hand out and start to beg. This group of people, instead of begging for reception... They're begging that Paul would would let them give. Hey, we want to give. Hey, stop doing it. No, we want to give. Take it. We want to help. This is what happens when grace takes a hold of our lives. Verse 5. And this, not as we had expected. Here's the reason. They gave themselves first to the Lord. And then, by the will of God, to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among us this act of grace, among you, this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove the earnestness of others, by the earnestness of others that uh, your love also is genuine for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich this I'm just so I I have a hard time Like that that is impressive that is not natural and you don't get that out of churchianity like you don't come to church and oh boy I went to church I'm a good doobie and now I'm, I'm in poverty I'm going to give. That does not happen. That happens when God's grace takes a hold of our hearts because we see the abundance that Christ is and Him humbling Himself not just to death but to death on a cross we see that there's so much more to life than this one that we currently reside in. Well, listen, you're smart. If you put X amount of money into the bank for X amount of years and you have X amount of interest, you'll be able to retire with X amount of money. You're smart people. You know how to do that. Maybe you have. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you should have. Maybe you shouldn't have. I don't know. We can all plan... We're all smart enough to plan. Those plans are all about this life. There's one coming. The one that's coming lasts a lot longer. When we live here, it's short. You know it, you can feel it. I can feel it. I'm only 41, but like I, I, I'm 41. I'm 41, like I, I remember when my dad turned 40. I made fun of my sister. I said, hey, I remember when dad turned 40. Like, I made fun of her when she turned 40. Like, like, but it's all happening. I used to have little kids. Oh, wait a second, I still do. <laughs> but it's a, it's a different group. <laughs> it's a different set. We're all growing older. The time of our departure is at hand. We can sew to ourselves. And make sure that our retirement is such and such and so and so. And we can do this, that, and the other in retirement. We can do all that. And there's nothing wrong with it. You ought to plan. The the Bible talks about planning. But I would not do so at the expense of Christian charity. I would not do so at the expense of sowing to the Spirit. Because you want to see the Spirit produce what only the Spirit can produce. And through that love to your neighbor, who knows? Who knows what God might rescue them from their sin? Who knows that they might say, hey, that no one's ever cared about me like this. Who knows that that guy on the corner, holding the sign, he's been holding it for years. Who knows that when you give that guy a cold uh, bottle of water and a $5 bill and a tract, who knows that he might say, hey, Maybe I'll read that thing. Who knows that that guy might come to saving faith in Christ and your $5. That probably means not anything to you. You wasted at Starbucks for a dumb drink that made you fat. Made me fat anyway. Maybe it doesn't make you fat. Throw it away for this, that, and the other thing. But I can't give $5 to this guy that doesn't have a home. Maybe through acts of Christian love, God might save some. See, social things don't save people, right? I agree. We are not a social gospel church. However, I do say that the gospel is active. Yeah? And the gospel is displayed in action. And as the gospel is displayed in action, it has an undergirded power. And who knows what the Spirit might do with that undergirded power that comes from a gospel in action. It starts in the church. We take care of our own. We take care of those who teach us. And you do. And we take care of those outside the church. And who knows but what the Spirit might produce in and among our neighbors, our community, and in mankind in general. God's not done saving people. Christian love. Galatians chapter 6. It is an outflow. We've been set free not to serve ourselves. We've been set free to love one another by serving one another. It comes by a a constant walk in the Spirit and it comes by a willingness to share our lives, our talents, our resources in the church and in our communities. Let's pray together. Father, thank You. Help us. Help us to love You and to love one another. More. Display the gospel in our lives so that others would come to know Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.